0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, good morning. Thank you so much, Matt and Path. It's lovely to be with uh, everyone this morning or if you're catching up on demand. As Matt and Pat said, we're going to be uh, carrying on and finishing our eight-week series looking at the challenge of Jesus. These eight crucial invitations that Jesus extends to us in the Gospels. And so if you've been journeying with us up to this point, you would know that we've talked about come and be, come and follow, come and see, come and take, come and drink, come and eat, come and rest. And then today, as we transition into Lent, we're looking at Come and Give. Our teaching text for this morning is a well-known story, and it's Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler. Interestingly, this is one of those stories that turns up in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, which suggests that they all thought that this story, this interaction, Jesus talking to the rich young ruler, was key in explaining and understanding Jesus's ministry. Okay, so some of the Gospels describe this man as young, others as a ruler, all describe him as wealthy, And so as we kind of piece all those together, that's how we get the name, the rich young ruler. Although when we read the Bible, you'll notice that that term doesn't actually turn up. It's people pulling all those pieces together. But for this morning, I've chosen to focus on Luke's account. Luke's account. And so if you have your Bible there or your phone, would you please turn with me to Luke 18? Luke 18. And although this story seems to start, at verse 18. Uh, I actually want to start reading from verse 15. Uh, Remember that the kind of the original text wouldn't have had all those little like subheadings, which I'm sure you have on your Bible or your phone app. And sometimes I think that can be misleading for reasons that I will tell you about in a little while. So Luke 18, reading from verse 15, and it will come up on the screen. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, but Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little ones come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of god those who heard this asked well, who then can be saved jesus replied what is possible with man what is impossible with man is possible with god peter said to him we have left all we had to follow you truly i tell you jesus said to them no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is one of those passages of scripture that doesn't pull any punches. We're kind of ending this series big. And I am so encouraged by the disciples response to what they hear Jesus saying here how can anyone be saved like this is a hard word how do we fulfill this and i wonder if here in that bible passage you're thinking the same this morning so what is going on here what is going on in this story well i'd like to suggest to you three things first of all jesus diagnoses a problem then he describes a cure and then he promises a reward describes a problem diagnoses a problem describes the cure and then promises the reward and so let's start with the problem. We have this uh, this wealthy, powerful person turn up. You know, he is, on face value, this kind of perfect-looking prospective disciple. He is powerful. He has moral virtue. He is prosperous. And in Jewish thinking, kind of a bit like today, people would have thought that prosperity was a sign of God's favour on your life, right? If you're wealthy, you've probably done well, you're probably a good person. And yet despite all of this, this person leaves sad. Or actually a better translation for that word sad is crestfallen. Like he leaves Jesus crestfallen. He leaves Jesus gutted. And on the surface it seems fairly simple why. Jesus asks him to give away all of his possessions and he's wealthy and he doesn't want to. But as we begin to peel the onion, the Bible is telling us that there's kind of something deeper going on. And how does that deeper thing speak to us in Surrey in 2021 in the middle of a pandemic? Well, we know that this is not a principle that Jesus commanded of everyone who was to become a disciple. We're all called to follow Jesus, but the specific challenge to the rich young ruler was very specific. Go and give up all your possessions. So why him and why that challenge? I think to answer that question, we need to dive a bit deeper into what's happening in this interaction. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus to justify himself. He knows, well he thinks that he knows, that he has kept the commandments well. Like he's coming to Jesus and looking for a a rubber stamp, like a sign of approval from Jesus. But we know that if you ever come to Jesus looking for him to rubber-stamp your life, you will leave crestfallen, as the rich young ruler is about to find out. Jesus is never willing to be an add-on to just a moral lifestyle. To truly follow Jesus requires us to reorder everything in our life around him. And so this rich young ruler comes and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right. He was aware that despite keeping the commandments, despite feeling like he had moral virtue, like he was doing well, uh, he realized that there was a lack. And so Jesus recounts like a selection of the commandments to him. And he's like, yep, tick box, like this is going to get what I need. All I need is Jesus to tell me I'm doing well, I'm all good. And maybe that will fill this hole. But then Jesus changes and he says, well, one thing you lack. A love in Mark's account of this scripture, he says that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack. Jesus saw that lack in him and said, one thing, one thing you still need. He saw the void and he said, one thing you lack. And this is what it is. What I think Jesus is doing here is he's saying, look. You think you've kept all the commandments, right? You're looking for that tick box. But let's start with the first one, that first commandment. Love the Lord with all your body, mind, soul and strength and have no gods beside him. Right, the first commandment. And Jesus is like, okay, you think you've kept all the commandments. Let's try that one. Leave all of your possessions and follow me. Have no other gods beside me." And the truth is he couldn't even fulfill the first commandment and he leaves crestfallen because he has many possessions. Money, wealth has become the idol that he really loves with all his mind, body, soul, and strength. And lots of things can become idols. But, but, and this is a big but, Jesus makes this specific statement about money in particular, which I think is important for us to grasp. Because studying the Gospels, you can't miss the fact that Jesus has specific warnings around money. How hard, he says, is it for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? And then he takes the biggest animal in Israel at the time and the smallest possible object, the camel and the needle. And he says it's even harder than this for a camel to pass through the head of a needle. It's even harder than that for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so I want to be clear right now. I believe that this is a passage about money, and so this is a talk about money. Plenty of things absolutely can become idols that take Jesus's place in our life, but we can't afford to not talk specifically about money sometimes, because Jesus talked about it a lot. And so, if you're up for the challenge of staying with me, I hope you aren't currently grabbing the remote to flick over to Disney Plus, Although if you do, I recommend the Mandalorian, but I hope you stay with me and I hope we can journey through this together because we know that always with Jesus, there is immense freedom on the other side of his difficult teaching. So money. So why? Why does money, money specifically, have such an idolatrous, consuming power over us? Well, this is where I would like to jump back in the story to verse 15. Because very few people I found read these verses together. But I believe that Luke absolutely put them together as contrast to one another. And only by considering the first can the second be revealed to us. Verse 17. Let the children come to me. Only, only to those who become like a child will be able to enter the kingdom of God. Only to those who become like a child will be able to enter the kingdom of God then you jump down verse 24 how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God harder than a camera going through the eye of a needle so the kingdom of God is one that is accessible to a child and impossible to the rich what's the difference Surely that is the million-dollar question, no pun intended, this morning, the million-dollar question. Why is it accessible to the child and impossible for the rich? Well, I would like to suggest to you that it's ultimately a question of trust. There is nothing like money to make us feel self-sufficient and self-important. And those two things together begin to slowly erode our ability to live freely and trusting in the care of God, just like a child. And I believe that is the problem that Jesus is diagnosing here. Jesus talked a lot about money, more than almost anything, in fact. Because he knew that it had a unique and it has a unique place to divert and corrupt us from living carefree in the life that he intended for us. To kind of illustrate this point, I'd love to jump for a second to a really famous passage of scripture in Mark 4. And it's where Jesus talks about these four soils. I'm sure you know it well. And these four soils and it talks about how the Lord, the farmer, scatters the seed and the seed falls on four different types of soil. Some falls on the path and it takes no root, right? It just takes no root and it just goes, gets taken away. Some is eaten by the birds and Jesus talks about how that's the enemy snatching away the seed. But then he talks about this third soil and this third soil is the one I want to focus on today. And this third soil, he says, is one that takes root, right? It lands in fertile soil, it takes root, but then thorns come up and choke the word, But what's interesting to me is that Jesus defines the choking of this word as two specific things, two specific things. And those are in Mark 4, verse 18 to 19. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Interesting. The thing that comes in and chokes the word is the cares of this world and the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of wealth. So here is my question for you this morning. If wealth is deceitful, then what lie is it telling? Then what lie is it telling? Because surely we can't afford to stumble through life without asking and answering that question. If Jesus tells us that wealth is deceitful, then what lie? How is it deceiving us? What lie is it telling? Because it's, it's like a universal principle. We all hate to be deceived. We hate to have the wall pulled over our eyes. It makes us feel violated. And here Jesus is saying to us, hey, those riches they are lying to you pay attention and that lie is choking the fruit that I have intended for your life that fruit that I'm looking to get 30 60 a hundred fold that I planned for you isn't taking root it isn't growing because there are riches that are lying to you and isn't that the opposite of what we would normally believe and buy into What if the Lord is actually saying, you are too materialistic to be fruitful? You are too materialistic to be fruitful. And so what is the lie? What is the lie that wealth is telling to us? What is the lie that wealth was telling to the rich young ruler? And I'd love to encourage you to actually take that question away. Talk to the spirit about it. Ask him to reveal it to you. But for the sake of this morning, I would like to suggest, having studied the scriptures and having prayed about it myself, that it's primarily two things. These are the two lies that I believe that riches can say to us. They say that riches make you significant and that riches mean you're safe. Riches make you significant and riches mean you're safe. And that's why the rich young ruler left sad, crestfallen, gutted. He thought he was doing everything right. He was morally upright. He was doing well in life. He was powerful. His career was on the right track. But his riches had become an idol in which he was finding safety and significance. And when he comes to Jesus, Jesus asks him to give it up. And he can't do that, not for anybody, not even for Jesus. And those two lies are the ones that haunt us, regardless of the zeros in our bank account or on our pay slips. Anytime, in lack or in plenty, if wealth becomes the place that you ultimately look to, For safety and significance, you have formed an idol because Jesus says that those two things should be found ultimately in him. And that's why the cure is a simple one, to become like children. Children aren't plagued by that sort of thing. I know that as a dad, Thea, My two-year-old daughter doesn't lie awake at night with a calculator working out where her next meal is coming from. Dad has always put food on the table and she has no reason to believe that dad won't always put food on the table. And when she hangs out with her friends, which she isn't able to do very much at the moment, but when she does, she doesn't find her value in a savings account or in the size of her room. She feels significant because I get to tell her that she is and everything is received as a gift. Now, I know that that isn't true of all children. And the devastating truth is that many children don't get that from their parents in this broken world. But I believe that in Jesus, in this story, Jesus is highlighting the kind of carefree trust and dependence that only well-loved children seem to possess. And us adults kind of mature out of that far too quickly. And Jesus is asking us to become those trusting, well-loved children, well-loved in his care. And so I don't know where you find yourself today. I know that many are facing unemployment and I know that many are facing financial worries, like the question of what does this mean for us in the middle of a pandemic? Well, you know, I'd love this sermon to encourage you. Money, a steady income, a savings account, a pay slip. That was never meant to be your source of security or significance. Maybe right now it's causing you a lot of anxiety. You're feeling worried about it. You're feeling worried about prospect of unemployment. Maybe you are unemployed. Well, I would love for Jesus to be saying, become like a child again. That was never the place where your safety was. That was never the place where your significance was. And so turn to me and my open arms once again and bring your anxiety to me. Because, you know, when we look around on the news and we hear about a shaken and a vulnerable economy, actually, Jesus promised us that that would happen right? He said, don't store up treasures on earth where moths can eat it and thieves can take it. The promise was never financial stability. If anything, it was the opposite. It was that treasures of this world are fragile and they could be taken. But the promise is, the promise is to trust him as a child and to store up treasures in heaven where thieves and moths cannot get to it. And so for others of us, Because we know that Jesus likes to comfort the afflicted, but he also likes to afflict the comfortable. What is Jesus saying to you in this passage? I honestly don't believe that Jesus asks everyone to sell their possessions. But it's always good to be honest and ask ourselves, what would I say if he did? What would I say if he did? Because Jesus' warnings about money are unique And they are sobering and so in a minute we're going to take a chance to respond but we're not going to respond by kind of taking any sort of special offering or anything like that like this isn't a vision day this isn't specifically really about asking you to give money this morning i would actually love it to go deeper than that i would love to invite everyone to prayerfully reflect on their finances and ask themselves that question really honestly ask themselves the question where might i be believing the lie where have i found ultimate significance and security in finances and jesus wants his place back i think there are two temptations when reading this passage either we assume that this was just specific to the rich young ruler and we kind of move away from it too quickly or We call him the rich or we call someone else the rich, someone with a bigger house or a bigger pay slip or a nicer car. Like we never categorize ourselves as the rich. The rich is always other with more. But really, this passage serves as a challenge to anyone who might find this call of Jesus challenging. And I know that that is definitely, definitely me. And I expect it is most of us today. Jesus is never willing to share that spot with anyone or anything. He's asking us again to love the Lord with all your mind, heart, body, soul and strength and to have no gods beside him. And so in the the minute we are going to take some time to respond and I get the sense that maybe the Spirit will already beginning, be beginning to speak to some people out of this morning and out of this passage. And so we're not going to take up any sort of special offering, but we do want to just take up an offering like we do every week. Um, sometimes reflection can become passive, you know, but actually I believe that Jesus' invitations are to come, to be active. And, uh, and so I think it's important for us to be active in our response this morning. And so every week we take an offering. We believe that it's part of our discipleship, part of our worship, to bring our tithes and our offerings to the house of the Lord. But kind of more than that this morning, um, nothing in my experiences dethrones the idol of money like giving it away. Nothing dethrones the idol of money like giving it away. And so what better time when the economy looks so fragile and so undependable to make sure that we have taken the action to dethrone the idol of wealth in our own lives and in our own hearts. And find our security and our significance back in Christ alone. And so you may want to do something. You may want to give some money into the, into the offering this morning. And that's great. You may want to just do some kind of radical act of generosity for a friend or a loved one or, or something. You may want to decide that actually as we kind of posture our hearts towards Lent, that you may want to decide that you're going to give up. You're going to um, fast buying clothes or buying tech or whatever it is that you know that you spend your money on. But honestly... I am so blown away by the generosity of this church, of the Emmaus family. Last year, literally hundreds of thousands of pounds were given by you to help those in need in our community. It was an incredible act of generosity when the world and the economy looks so fragile. I love that here at Emmaus, it's this sense of generosity is ingrained deep in our DNA. But still, I feel the call of the Spirit again as I read this verse to go deeper, that there is still an invitation to more, to live ever increasingly carefree in the care of God, to not leave sad and crestfallen, but to grow up into being like children again. You may, and I want to finish with this, have heard that kind of famous little story about the boy who gets his hand stuck in the Ming vase. He had gone to his grandma's house, grandma was very wealthy, and her prized possession was this Ming vase. It was going to be the family inheritance, and one day the little boy comes to his dad and he has got his arm stuck in the Ming vase and he can't get it out. They try everything, everything they can think of to try and get this boy's hand out, and they finally decide there's only one thing left. They're going to have to break the vase. And so the boy, the dad says to the son, first of all, before we do this, just make sure your hand is like as as kind of streamlined as you can. And we'll try and pull it out. And he looks into his dad's eyes, ever so eager. And he says, Dad, I can't. And the dad's like, why? And he's like, well, if I do that, then I'll drop my penny. And the boy, the whole time, had got his hand in. he'd been clutching a fist around his penny so unwilling to let it go that they were about to break this priceless ming vase and that's the gospel right just like the rich young ruler found out jesus seems quite happy to ask us to give up everything our most precious little penny which we can hold on so tight to But his promise is that what you get back is infinitely better. There is no comparison. And that is the reward. We talked about the problem, the cure and the reward. The reward, Jesus will ask you to give up more than you ever imagined. But his promise is that you will receive more than you ever dreamed. And at the end of this, Jesus tells us, Doing all of this in our own strength—that's impossible. But through the grace of God, received as a gift in childlike faith, anything, anything is possible. So as I come into land and I hand back to Matt and Path, I just want to pray, and then we're going to give you some time to reflect. And uh, maybe the Lord is calling you to give some money in the offering. That's great. Maybe He's calling you to do some other act of generosity. But just want to invite everyone to prayerfully prayerfully reflect as we enter Lent onto their finances this morning. And so Lord Jesus, we we thank you God. Lord Jesus, we hear your warnings in the gospel and we take them seriously, Lord Jesus, we, we see how easy it is for material things, for wealth to to crawl their way into your spot in our lives, to become idols, Lord, where we look for our safety and our significance. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray, like, just like that little boy, that today you would help us to unclench our fists, to release our hands, Lord Jesus, to turn to you again with this childlike faith. Lord Jesus, help us to mature back into children this morning. And God, we thank you that this is impossible without you. But the promise was that you would help us, that you would be with us, that you would give us strength. And so we turn again and we receive your strength afresh. In your mighty and powerful name, amen, amen. Mm